Welcome to Re-Review, where we watch movies from our past with a perspective from today. Your hosts are Matt, Bobby, and Austin, and we love the films from our youth, so we're taking a look back to see if they still hold up. On this episode, we're kicking off our Halloween month for 2023 by discussing The Shining. It was released in 1980, directed by Stanley Kubrick, stars Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and Danny Lloyd. This movie is about what happens when you have all work and no play. Now, this is a fair warning. We're spoiling a 43-year-old movie, so if you haven't seen it, we will be revealing key plot points. This is a movie, y'all. Um, <laughs> I'm going to throw back and let, let's do the usual question. When was the first time you watched this? Ooh. I mean, I, both uh, of you. Uh, well, no, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't feel like I have a distinctive memory of watching it like I do some movies. Um, I think like we kind of talked about when we were watching it. Like I, I distinctly remember watching the Simpsons version of it quite a bit. Um, yep. this version of it, I'm pretty sure that I watched on like AMC or TNT or something like that, probably during Halloween month. Um, so I definitely don't have like the theater experience to speak of, unfortunately. Um, I watching watching this movie now. I'm pretty sure a lot of it was cut out now that I'm watching it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was gonna say I, I'm about to perform some cinephile sacrilege here and say that. I don't recall seeing this entire movie. Wait, what? <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. I, I've been on that sacrilege list as well. There's there's a lot we could probably go down that I know I should have seen and watched since forever. But I, I, I understand. I'm surprised, though. I am surprised. I think I got a good most of it. But I think there's some parts that I have no recollection of whatsoever. Well, you know, that's just called aging. Yeah, I thought maybe it could be that. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, Matt, I agree with you. I am um, just never seen it, and I think so much of maybe you'll both agree with this. Growing up, eighties, nineties, a lot of things were just tied to pop culture. So having yeah. my introduction to this being The Simpsons as well, in a way, made sense. There was a, I don't know, something about the time that we all were able to identify with things that came out before we were alive, before we were born, um, because they were rehashed in so many different ways that you kind of knew what was going on in the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, and and in this case, 1980, um, that it wasn't foreign. So when someone made a joke about The Shining, you knew what they were talking about because it was Kubrick. And if you paid any attention to the movies, it was just something you were aware of, even though like Bobby mentioned, you may not have watched it in full or Matt, you saw a very heavily edited version. Yeah. I mean like the big stuff was pretty clear, right? Like here's Johnny and you know, like the twins and you know, mm -hmm. just nowadays memed to death and gift out. And so, you know, you can find the imagery very easily here. Mm -hmm. it's very much like the meme of leo dicaprio now where it's like you know where he's uh from once upon a time in hollywood where he's snapping his fingers and putting at the tv oh Any, yeah anytime yes. you see yes. those scenes like i mean like i was saying like the thing i remember the most about this movie is the simpsons and the short little bit that was in tw uh, uh twister uh when they're at the, the, mm -hmm. the drive-in theater or whatever i distinctly mm -hmm. remember the scenes of like danny on his little power wheel or whatever going through and then the tornado taking out the screen and then it's still being projected onto the tornado. Um, mm -hmm. So like, I feel like that along with general pop culture definitely has, I mean, here's Johnny's just kind of like, I mean, it's in everything. I'm sure you could probably go yeah. back since mm -hmm. the eighties and there's probably tons of references to that one scene alone. 
right like beyond classic for that perspective i think before we dive into the movie what's your uh just give me your overall consensus on kubrick wow as a director holy crap you're wow yeah i want it i want it it's it's really hard to separate the director from the like from the stories for me like the hundreds of takes and the the david fincher kind of super perfectionist kind of thing like i just hear all these stories about just this crazy stuff and especially in this movie stories about how like drove shelly duvall insane kind of like what the movie was doing so Mm -hmm. yeah there's i mean he's definitely like a very interesting art tour type but man yeah like the whole like hundreds of takes things just boggles my mind I hear you're saying polarizing, and I think there are definitely some polarizing moments in this movie. For sure, yeah, that's a good word for it. I'm it's it's a weird thing because like he doesn't have the largest catalog of movies out there compared to like a Spielberg, for example. I think um, it's sad. I could only think of three others right now. I mean, two two thousand one, yeah, Clockwork, and. Uh, Eyes and, wide and shut. Thank you. That was the one. <laughs> <laughs> it, that, I think I, 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 I think that was the thing too, is the fact that like, you know, um, 2001, I've, I always felt like was a visually interesting movie, but for the most part, like it didn't really like keep my interest while I was watching it. I hated walking, watching clockwork orange. I still can't watch it to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the shining, which came after uh, the other one that I think I remember the most is full metal jacket. Um. Yeah. Oh another, yeah! How could I forget that? He has another pretty interesting war movie, I think, called Paths of Glory. Oh which yeah, is a World War One movie. Yeah, that I, I actually found seen, like pretty interesting. And yeah. I mean Spartacus. I mean he he's got yeah. he's got the history. I just find it so. Admit, also, not seeing that one. Comically either. tragic that he ended on Eyes I'm Wide Spartacus. Shut. That'd be like if Spielberg passed away after doing AI. Like right. Well, it no, would be the tragic. Is, like, no, yeah, the thing is, is that he did pass away during AI, and Spielberg took it from him and tried to like match what he would do with it. I what? <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> you, you, wait, he, did you lose me? <laughs> he died during the middle of his development of making AI, the move, the Spielberg movie, and so Spielberg took over for him and finished it. It was he, a Kubrick film. Yeah, using all of Kubrick stuff using oh. all of his like pre-production research well learning new things i guess I, right, I, let's get I to guess th- i can't blame spielberg for ai anymore War <laughs> <laughs> of the worlds then right no gee. okay we, that's a different topic this movie opens with some lovely vistas and we were all very confused about the location apparently this takes place in denver but we were all convinced it was the swiss alps well i think it was actually shot not in denver it was like some forest in Canada or something, maybe <laughs> that feels, that feels right. It definitely had, yeah. I mean, cause I've, I've been to, you know, Denver, Colorado Springs, all that. So like, it's not like this couldn't have existed there. It's just some of the shots were just so scenic to the point where like, like whenever I think of, you know, places like Switzerland or whatever, I think mm-hmm. of really long vertical mountain ranges mm-hmm. um, with like really distinct green, grass and trees mm-hmm. and you kind of mm-hmm. got that in some of these shots so it kind of i i think even asked like where does this take place again like i kind of it was kind of hard to place it just from the scenery because i mean that was distinctive like what the opening five minutes was just driving through all the scenery yeah. 
So it's mm-hmm. kind of hard not to kind of be engrossed in it. And there was a part of me that was kind of wishing they had better camera tech back then to keep the camera right. a little bit more steady. Mm. Um, but I'm sure if I'm sitting in a theater watching this on a ginormous screen, it probably would have been amazing. I'm sure. I mean, I think if they, if they did, they would have, he would have used it. Oh, for sure. But one, one interesting bit of trivia about the beginning shots is that some of that footage, the outtake stuff was used at the end of the Blade Runner movie because the studio wanted it to be like a happy ending. So they use it at the end. I'm not sure if you remember. The they cut in the shiner Runner. to, to make it a, a happier ending (laughs) these things are jiving for me (laughs) they did yes but i think the actual hotel was in was in oregon and i wonder if there was a nod to it because when he was talking to the bartender he said oh he's the best bartender from here to portland maine or portland oregon Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. probably yeah it's a you know i i i was a bit captivated by the vistas and i think we talked about this my first watching was in college because it was tied to some music classes i was taking and so much was tied around how much synth use was done in this film and we get that from the initial opening uh you can do a half rendition bobby of your version of the theme <laughs> da, 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 okay that's good no, 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 no copyright no copyright da, da. <laughs> So I, I'm cu- I'm curious, what did you think of the synth? Because a lot of times when I think synth, I think like, wow, so 80s. But this one didn't really scream that to me, and I'm not sure why. No. Um, y- you know, the, the sound of this film is... <laughs> We're so, like, things we get today, movies are not as sparse as this movie is with it. And, you know, the way they'll mix scenes from being sort of empty and you only get the sounds of what's happening in the room, and then you'll get the music coming in to try to build that tension. That was one of the things I liked. I, I felt like one of my notes I wrote down is what is this movie without the anxiety building sounds? Mm-hmm. Because in one way, if you look at it, I mean, the pacing isn't exactly, you know, it's just a lot of, lot of things <laughs> happening slowly over time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was one of the criticisms of the movie when it originally released, and and Kubrick's movie prior to this one, which was Barry Lyndon, which is like a European historical drama, was criticized for being way too slow. And so mm. his response to that was to make this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I I say that in. The reason I'm bringing up the audio is because the audio, I think, helped to offset feeling that feeling of the pacing because it, it made it such that I sat in the scenes oh, yeah. in sort of how uncomfortable they were. It was very mm-hmm. much uh, dread-inducing. Like, it's funny because, mm-hmm. you know, this movie came out in 1980, and I couldn't help but think, and very much you can say it was inspired, like it inspired a generation of directors. It definitely did. Um, but it, it just started reminding me of like modern horror, right? Like the insidious is the conjuring where they focus a little bit less on a like orchestra for, mm-hmm. for the soundtrack and much more for an ambience based sound. Like it, it's just sounds put together. And I think the thing that kind of hid the synthesizer to me was there was definitely a sense of distortion to it. Um, it mm-hmm. kind of reminded mm-hmm. me like whenever you'd go back and watch like movies from like the fifties, the way that the audio was kind of like, kind of always distorted whenever you'd watch them. I mean, Mm -hmm. probably not during the time, but watching old reels, it kind of had that distortion to it. So it didn't sound synthetic or like machine made as much as a result. 
I think that distortion is from the technology not being able to go at sync sound, like exactly the same speed all the time, 100% of the time, like how it's supposed to match the video or the images 100%. So it's supposed to go like the same exact speed all the time. And of course, the super old movies are like hand crank. So you had speed going up and down. And I think that kind of continued pretty far into the photochemical era. I think it definitely, yeah. it helped the performances from my point of view. Cause mm-hmm. I think that, you know, you really realistically, you have three actors in this movie. Yeah. You had some supporting actors mm-hmm. that were kind of there to help set up, but it was driven, you know, you had, you know, Jack Nicholson, you had, um, uh, Oh my God. Free, oh, Shelly Duvall. And then Danny, mm-hmm. Danny Lloyd, like, and I'm trying, I'm trying not to, pull the you know danny was a kid <laughs> type thing or whatever but even even shelly <laughs> i feel Pilar. like some of her performances towards the beginning felt a little bit um over exaggerated at times yeah. um so i think having that soundtrack there kind of helps support it and jack nicholson was you know he's he's yeah. jack nicholson no matter where he's at so right I, you probably could have had him just in a completely quiet setting and it would have been Jack Nicholson doing what he does. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you get into that again, this, the, the sound, the ambiance helping around the dialogue and the pacing of the dialogue. Cause there'd definitely be sort of that. It almost felt like, I don't know, a college short dialogue where someone would talk and there's a pause and they're supposed to be carrying on like a real conversation but the pacing just isn't there and i know i've I've just talked we're spoiled with that today where you hear a conversation in the movie and it really sounds like two people talking to each other and not Mm -hmm. that they're just reading dialogue that they memorized so there was a bit of that for me watching it that i was able to ignore because of everything else that was going on i think it was a little bit more obvious at the beginning than it was towards the middle and maybe it's just because i was starting to get Mm -hmm. more pulled into it i don't know Mm-hmm. I, I can't say that I was completely like enveloped by this movie watching it. I wasn't like pulled in and tense the entire time, but mm-hmm. at the very least, like because the pacing was picking up and there was the, the chase essentially that was occurring. Mm-hmm. I feel like it kind of helped cover up some of that uh, gap in the dialogue that you were getting otherwise. Cause mm-hmm. in the beginning when they were in the car making the conversation about what the cannibals did, yes. it, did mm-hmm. it feel organic at all? No. Well, I think you mentioned, do, do they look like a family? <laughs> no. They, they are the most unfamily family I've ever seen. <laughs> well, I think we could talk about the characters a bit here because there's there's Jack Nicholson playing Jack Torrance, Shelley Duvall is Wendy Torrance, and Danny Lloyd is Danny. And, you know, you mentioned Danny as a kid. There's also uh, the supporting characters, but what about the overall, um, the hotel as a character? Isn't that the big thing here? Yeah, yeah. I think that um, it's weird because I remember watching this as a younger person and I felt that the hotel felt big. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it, it was, it was a massive space and it had like this very, you know, like, um, like it j- just the, the void of it was kind of scary but watching it now i didn't get that at all like Mm -hmm. i i amazing really 
Oh, I had the opposite reaction. I I was sitting in all these spaces just with we talked that about that dread because of the audio, but I felt sort of the the void of every room mm. and and the way that they were moving in those spaces. And I think a lot of it is because a lot the shots were set up such that the characters were centered, but you'd see just how empty the space was around them. So that's why it's interesting to hear you have that, well, that contrast. Not, not and, that it wasn't you know. not empty. I think it was just in my head, like in my head, like everything was a grand hall for this place. Yeah, like yeah. it very much was like a mega mansion right. type looking thing. And I don't yeah. know if it's because of the choice of like patterns in it. So obviously the floor pattern right. was like a major driving thing in this movie, but even like the walls, the colors, I mean, even like the choice of like red on the elevator yeah, doors. Yeah, lots of unique yeah. colors. Um, there was so much red all over. Mm-hmm. Like there was red in every room and all this red. And then the um, the kitchen was kind of like, kind of struck my ADD because I kept like looking at all this stuff in the background, like <laughs> tang and like ketchup and like all these like cornflakes and all these things. And I kept like trying to see what I can find in the background. The marketing got to you. It did. Just as planned. I hope you go buy some tank. Can you still buy tank? I have no thing? idea. No, I don't, that's a good question. I have no idea. I haven't seen it in a long time. Oh yeah, like uranium. Yeah, I or mean, something. there's a, there's obviously a lot that happens before we get to the get to the end here. And one of the things I my question is like, why does the hotel want them dead so bad? But <laughs> well, we'll get into that piece. You know, we Spoiler, have no idea. <laughs> oh jeez. So 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 Jack Torrance. He gets this gig to be the caretaker. What a weird setup. Like, I run a lodge that I am going to basically turn off for the winter, and it's huge, and I need, like, a person and his family to be here the whole time. Yeah, like, what? I, I was confused by all that. It, it it doesn't really line up to me that that seems like a great job opportunity. I, I, don't, I don't know. Because, yeah, they got basically trapped in the snow, right? Yeah, that's and one of the things that I think is I've I've never read the book to be honest, so I don't know what differences exist between the book and the mm-hmm. and the movie. I do know that Stephen King I wasn't happy a fair amount. with it. Yeah, I think there's a fair amount. So maybe maybe it was better flushed out or explained in the book compared to the movie because like to me, yeah, I, it didn't make sense because it's weird because from my point of view, these sort of lodges they flourish during winter. Like they would have like yeah, a ski like slope. It's like and, a ski resort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's mm-hmm. it's weird to me that it does shut down. It's even weirder that they feel like one person can take care of the entire place by themselves. <laughs> yes. When yes. they know for a fact that 10 years prior, some other caretaker went crazy <laughs> and murdered his family. And for whatever reason, it's like, you know what? Maybe we could have, I don't know, maybe five or six people here. And we could probably, I don't know, bring in some board games or something or anything (laughs) at this point to help make sure that doesn't happen again. Oh yeah. It's, it's one of those. And maybe we could talk about the turn, right? Because I think we see Jack and the family and of course things are off. Oh, let's okay. What's up with Tony. All right. What is up with Tony? Didn't, didn't you have a Tony growing up? Lack of friends. You just had a Tony in your throat that just, you know, made conversation (laughs) and, you know, made all the right calls. It could show you things. It could show you things. <laughs> I I uh, I'm frustrated by Tony because I feel like Tony should have been the ultimate villain and or the ultimate hero here. Either way, Tony, help us out. I really thought it was gonna play out more like 
like the kid was going to be the main problem at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many movies do that now, right? The kid, the kids are scary, right? Kids in general are kind of scary. Um, the so when we when I bring up Jack and thinking about Jack's turn, it felt weird just in terms of. You know, we're going through the paces. We see the time changes from a month to like Tuesday, Wednesday, 24 hours, whatever. Um, and it's that first scene where Wendy comes in to talk to Jack and he's typing in his typewriter and he just loses it on her. And I think the first thing I wrote down was like, you need a divorce from this dude yesterday. Why are you here? You should have packed up and took the kid with you because this dude is going to beat your ass. This is not okay. Yeah, it got pretty uncomfortable, actually, quite quite a bit, for sure. And yeah, I agree. Like the a a solid divorce lawyer would have been. I mean, this is the, before the age of Google, so you know, being mm-hmm. able to search somebody like that probably um, a little bit before the time. But yeah, it, I mean, I think that also plays into for me the fact that they didn't really feel like a family. It made it even more weird whenever, because like I don't know if there was actually like a truly like happy moment between the three of them Mm -hmm. at any given time. And then him, I do, I do agree that it's weird that he kind of loses it a little bit so early. Um, Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel like there was enough of a catalyst at that point to drive why he would start being like that. Like maybe it kind of was revealed a little bit later on. It kind of feels like maybe he was kind of like a failing writer and so maybe he was like pinning his, you know, frustration at being a failing writer on her. Cause he very much kind of brought that up before that, you know, essentially like she was a mistake, right? That like everything was terrible yeah. because of her. Um, they didn't really hint at that very much at the beginning though. And so like it did make it sort of stick out as a result, I think. Yeah, it just felt it. The, again, the sort of everything being often uncomfortable. I, I mean, the other note I have here is just the sheer amount of verbal abuse. I think, Bobby, this is what you're talking about, that they that Shelley Duvall was not treated well on set. Yeah, so, well, I don't know if it was not treated well, but she was just like, I mean, the whole, like, well, I guess she wasn't treated well. But the whole, <laughs> the whole like, Kubrick experience just kind of got to her. And he was really trying to, like, I guess like systematically break her down at some point with all the takes and all the stuff. And apparently she got really ill during the filming. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, it just, I think that's what those made it hard to watch um, just in terms of that treatment and, and just all the odd things that happen. But again, we get into the spaces. So let's talk a bit about the supernatural nature of it. We have Danny who has the shining. He's got his uh, special ability here. Which I wrote down, so he just has telepathy, uh, mm-hmm. right? Is that mm-hmm. and and he can hear ghosts? Well, telepathy, he can see ghosts. He can. He has foresight, right? He mm-hmm. he saw a lot of stuff happening. So it could be a powerful ability. And the reason why, like, I'd be curious to watch the sequel, Doctor Sleep, is it seems like he's a more like a more fully formed person at the ability to use those powers, but. Yeah. Wait, does that mean we get more Tony? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Sequel. Like that, that would actually be interesting. <laughs> that that would be like the the get M Night Shyamalan to direct it, and it turns out Tony <laughs> was the murderer the entire time, or something like that. The mastermind. Um, yeah, and it 
it was kind of strange in the aspect that, you know, you had, uh, what was his name? Um, Holleron mm-hmm. also yep. had, you know, the shining. The shining. Mm-hmm. And so like he was able to kind of detect it. I think what was the first thing he was like telepathy, like telling him like, like do ice, you want ice some cream? ice cream? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But like, yeah, I guess he could, it was almost like, you know, um, I don't know if you guys ever watched Highlander, but where they could feel each other or whatever. So they knew mm. where there was another immortal nearby. Same thing with like the shining. You can feel that there's another shining nearby. It's like, what a coincidence that in this tiny little space of the world, right. you run into <laughs> another person who can not only has it, but can tell you about it and you can use mm-hmm. it to kind of drive at least, Poor Holleron story to, to get him from his little cottage in Miami back up to this right. snow-capped uh, mountain. To help no one. To help no one. To help mm-hmm. absolutely no one. Oh, I mean, there's so many. I, I, Bobby, you made fun of me for, you sound like I was taking notes every time something weird was happening. <laughs> I don't even know what to bring up now because there were so many weird things that were going on. Um, I, I will tell you one of my favorite parts is when she friggin' clocked him with the bat. That was like a hero moment for me. I was <laughs> like, knock that fool down the stairs. For sure, yeah. It, yeah, I was like, this feels really, really good. Um, you know, he he drinks, he he sees dead bartenders, and and I don't know, this could lead us into getting the etiquette with all the, tell me what what was your favorite weird moment? How's that? Mm, favorite weird moment, man. Um, me personally, like I know the one that always stands out the most to me is the um, uh, honestly, it's the cutting to the the elevator with blood. Like, mm. yeah, and darn, I was going to say the same thing. And with the, especially with the the addition of the music and the way that kind of cuts in, um, I I remember as a kid thinking that the little twin girls or whatever were really creepy. Mm-hmm. But for, and I know that we afterwards we watched the Simpsons version of this. I don't know why, but in my mind, I thought that maybe it was a later episode that they had the two twin sisters from the Simpsons playing. That feels right. So like anytime I see them, that's all I see now. So like it kind of ruined it for me from the creep factor, but Uh yeah. Bobby, you're not allowed to say the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean the whole, like the whole like twenties flapper situation was like really strange and i mean clearly there was something really weird going on with the bartender and okay then i'll be the weird one i'm choosing body horror lady in the bathtub oh you went there oh that's that's some weird stuff and then i'll also choose uh wendy torrance running up the stairs and seeing a dude in a costume oh, giving no. a blowy to another oh, no. <laughs> like yeah, at that no. point i was just wait, like what wait, is happening wait, whoa, whoa, right whoa, whoa, now whoa, whoa. why do all your moments involve nudity and sex <laughs> <laughs> i like how i like how the guy was like after he sees all that he's like yeah no nothing happened no one was there the room was totally empty <laughs> Oh, I mean, yes. Even getting back to that domestic violence stuff with the idea that he's beating on his kid and then he confesses that he did as an accident. Like, what? This is dark, man. This is so dark. Um, Let alone, uh, we'll just throw it in there. There's some N-bombs in this movie. Unexpected. And it just was uncomfortable. And like, what in the hell is going on? I mean, did you enjoy the maze scene? You mean the end Mason? That chase, that part of it? Um, The one thing that I, it, it ties into it, I was actually going to bring it up a little bit earlier, but the 
I liked the usage of the Steadicam chase. So the maze scene was a really good example of that. And then um, Danny on the power wheel going around the, mm-hmm. the hotel. Mm-hmm. Not only was it, I think, visually pretty interesting, but I also think it acted as kind of a nice little like, this is the hotel. Um, yeah. with the, yeah. with the maze, I feel like because it was so whited out, it had a claustrophobic sense to it. Cause yeah, you did it like, it, it was like you were almost from, it, it was very much a third person like game, right? Like, mm-hmm. so you didn't mm-hmm. know what was going to be around the corner, even though you were technically following the bad guy, which is the weird thing. Most of that sequence was following Jack and like a mm-hmm. little bit of Danny. Yeah. But it was mostly right. following Jack, which is it'd be like if you had the same sequence with like Michael Myers. Like usually you follow, yeah. you know, the victim, not necessarily like the killer. Right. But we're also seeing him kind of wear down, right? His broken ankle or whatever he had going on and 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 all of that. I think this could lead to really the the question here. Bobby, you kind of answered it. Well, first I said, why does the hotel want them dead so bad? But this kind of leads into the, so what is really happening here? Because it, It's like the, the Haunted Mansion. They have 999 spirits and they're looking for a thousandth. But you, you would think that, you know, if they're hiring caretakers on a seasonal basis and this doesn't happen every time, what sets this family apart? Is Jack a ghost or whatever? And he always was. Let's let's go there. So let's go there. So what really happens here at the end? What what is really going on that we see a photo of him in what was it, nineteen July fourth, nineteen twenty one? Yeah. I mean, I I think there's I mean, I'm sure there's been a ton written about this, but I mean I my take is that Jack was a ghost who was somehow like and his son was involved in it and then I I don't know, like it's confusing, but something about <laughs> something about he, him in the twenties being a weird ghost and his son. My and so I almost I wrote down like, is he in a time loop in some weird way, or is he in some form of purgatory? Is it like the sixth the sense he and made? he's not there, and his mom is going nuts, <laughs> and he's not there at all? Uh, I mean, I guess you could potentially go that route i think that the the theory because i mean i think there's probably like a handful of theories that kind of tie around a lot of it because i mean the mm-hmm. one thing that we didn't really talk about was the fact that you know it's an indian burial ground which is a common mm. trope for stephen king apparently he loves that at yeah. least in that time period yeah um but one of the things that i, I know a lot of people kind of latched on to was the conversations with the bartender and specifically uh, grady that he has where mm-hmm. they very much mm-hmm. mentioned like oh you've always been here type thing or whatever so Mm -hmm. like there is that kind of like loop aspect to it that you know somehow it is potentially like a time loop type thing me personally like i was just kind of under the impression that it was just kind of a normal scenario for the most part but then when like he died like i think he just kind of like got sucked into the world of the house he became like a ghost that's in there and so he just that picture represented like all the ghosts that were in inside the hotel Oh, okay, that's one way to look at it. Okay, so that he wasn't—he wasn't necessarily there, but that picture is capturing everyone they've captured. That—that was—that was my approach to it because the idea that he was a ghost the entire time just gets kind of weird. Because I mean, he did have a family there, um, and he did interact with—I mean, he interacted with the people who gave him the job and everything. 
So Mm -hmm. the idea that, you know, he was a ghost the entire time or he had been the caretaker the entire time, like doesn't quite hold up quite as well. I'm sure like if you went back and looked at every single frame, maybe it could turn out that like, you know, maybe the family wasn't real. Maybe he had made them up. Like he's in purgatory and he's kind of rewriting scenarios and trying to find his way out properly, even though the way the, the hotel is saying he needs to get out is by executing his family. Which might make the idea of a sequel kind of ruin any kind of theory one might have. No, yeah. Fact, Let's see, we're saying yeah. all this stuff and there's a sequel. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> no more sequels. Well, I don't think he gets out. I think he's stuck there. Yeah, it's it's just a interesting, you know, way to look at it. Um anything I think Matt, you had some other questions, right? Questions? I mean, by the end of it, yeah. I mean, but <laughs> I think that it's one of those movies where like I th- and maybe this is the reason why Stephen King wasn't as happy with the end result. I know he I know he didn't like Jack Nicholson in the part whatsoever, which is kind of mm. weird because I feel like what he I didn't s- like Shelley Long either. Yeah. He had a different idea for that. His idea for that for Shelley Long's character was that it was kind of like an inexperienced bimbo type. Shelley Duvall. Yeah, Shelley Duvall, sorry. So I I, I don't know what the intention of the book was and like how much of it was a mixture of Kubrick and King, or was this just entirely Kubrick's fusion? And that's the reason why King was so unhappy. Cause I feel like a good chunk of this movie to me is more of, you know, was it a, an approach to something like domestic violence? And mm-hmm. which is really tragic considering how Kubrick treated Duvall the fact mm-hmm. that he was abusing her to basically get the the quote unquote performance. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of feel like the entire thing was supposed to be like a commentary on, you know, mental health, which was the weirdest thing to me. I don't know why I know the terminology and the idea of around mental health has been around for a long time, mm-hmm. but to me it feels like it's a relatively newer thing to talk about because mm-hmm. I feel like, even even in my my time period of living on this earth or whatever, being open about mental health was a rarity, right? You just didn't talk about that yeah. sort of thing. Right. Um, so the idea that this one openly talked about the concept of mental health, because um, I think it was like at the very beginning, the, the guy who was hiring Jack or whatever was talking about mental health and what the isolation mm-hmm. would do to you. And so it very much was like, you know, domestic violence, mental health, like all this stuff, whatever. So like, it very well could be Kubrick's, you know, trying to pay attention to that idea, just like, you know, some of the elements that were in Full Metal Jacket, right? And it's just like yeah, you're you know, right because I mean, right. at the one point, Wendy's telling Jack, "We really should take Danny to a doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we probably shouldn't be letting him hang out with Tony as much <laughs> as we do." Right, right. So, Bobby, I'll start with you. I'll ask you: Is two? It's a two-parter. Did we start off Halloween month properly? And do you recommend this movie? <laughs> Yes, we started off Halloween properly, I think. I think this is a good movie for Halloween. That said, I do not want to watch this movie again. (laughs) 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 Which I will admit is a rarity for me, but I was like... Oh, there's joy in my heart right now. I mean, I'd like to watch like the 10 minute like, oh yeah, I remember that. That looked neat. I liked this tracking shot, but... And maybe if like some person can break down and explain i am very interested in the next movie though but 
if someone can tell me what the heck happened here, I'd be happy to hear it. But <laughs> Matt, did we start off the month right? Do you recommend this one? I think it was a good start. I think that, you know, it gives you a a toe into maybe less from the traditional what I think most people uh, normally think of, you know, like the slasher genre. This very much is a yeah. slasher, you know, but it's not, it's not like, you know, Jason Voorhees or, you know, Michael Myers or anything like that. It it has a different, uh, almost slightly more realistic approach to it. The fact that it could be just the degradation of his mental health or whatever. Yes. So I, I feel like something that's probably more in line with what you'd see like nowadays where like people are breaking down like the meaning behind Babadook, right? Like that it was very much like the the mental health degrading of, you know, a single mom, right? Having to deal with all the stuff she was dealing with. Same thing here, a failing artist who's having to deal with all the stuff that he's dealing with. And mm-hmm. I think that it, it was a nice little, this is an appetizer. And then as we go, we'll start building up a little bit more towards the, I think, I'm so worried about the building. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, do you, do you, would you recommend someone watch The Shining today? I think that it's worth watching. I think definitely as a film student, I think it's worth watching just for the aspects of the craft that I think that Kubrick definitely is a master of. I would mm-hmm. recommend that if it's being played in a theater, watch it there instead, rather than watching mm-hmm. it on an iPhone or even on a computer screen. I think that. Something like this. This was probably like the pre-Nolan IMAX type experience. Like seeing this on a big screen was probably a really big deal. Yeah, if you could yeah, do like that... a Rocky Horror type of like, not necessarily like a sing-along kind of thing, but something where everybody's into it and like dressed up and stuff like that, that would be fun. That seems creepy. <laughs> I love the theater idea until you said that. The last thing I want to do is go somewhere where everyone's dressing like Jack, Wendy, and Danny. People oh, walking boy. around with their fake axes. and their- oh, <laughs> Yeah, that sounds less comfortable now. Um, but I do love the theater idea. I'm happy we started with this movie. Um, it, I, it it feels unexpected in a way because I think as we've done the previous years, more maybe we've watched a lot more modern films. Um and it, again, with the pacing, with the music, it's 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 a good start. I think appetizer is a good word for it, and I dread what the full meal is going to look like. Um, I recommend this one only because I'm coming from the perspective of I I kind of I fell into it. I fell into the creepiness and and sort of just the weirdness of it. Um, yeah, there's some problematic parts, but it it's it it held my attention in a way that probably says more about me as a person than I probably want to accept or admit to. So <laughs> next time we are going to be watching another Stephen King classic. So please tune in for that. And uh, as always, thank you for listening. And remember some places are like people, some shine and some don't. <laughs>